So first things first in this series, I want to remind us of a couple things. One, you are made in God's very image, just like you are. You don't need anybody or anything to complete you any more than what you are already completed. You are made in His image, wonderfully, fearfully made, put together. That's the first thing we have to understand. You got that part? So, first things first, as I start this message, let me start over because I don't think you were tracking with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're made in God's image. That's what we believe from Scripture. That's what, how that, that is the value and the sanctity of life. You carry the very image of God in how He created you and who He created you to be. Secondly, I want you to understand this, that if you're single, the Apostle Paul said that he encourages you to stay that way. He, he's honestly... He said life is a lot simpler that way. Uh, and you can get a lot more done on this planet than if you've got to worry about a, you know, a spouse and a family and all the stress and the headaches. and Not that marriage isn't wonderful. He's just saying, look, I'm just being real with you. It's, it's, uh, you can do more for God single than you can marry. That's just what he says. So don't stress if you're single like I've got to get married to complete something. You are already made in the image of God just like you are. Now, however, he also says, if you are married, stay that way. So stay that way. We're not allowed to unwind what God has won. But in order to stay married the way God has created marriage, he said we have to understand what God had in mind for marriage. And so if you're married now or headed toward marriage at some point, you got, we have to understand what God had in his mind when he created the institution of marriage. Now, to that end, let me start way back at the beginning, and this is going to get to be a lot more than marriage stuff, and we're going to get to an issue that most of us in this place would think, I really don't have an issue with that, I'm doing pretty well, and I think we're really, really good at lying to ourselves. And so we're going to get to a place that's going to be, if we're honest, uh, it's going to give us some work to do, and it's not going to be fun work. But, but, I, but I want to start, again, understanding what God had in mind when He made man and woman. In Hebrew, the word man is a little word that we call ish. Everybody say ish. Woman is a Hebrew word called isha. Everybody say isha. In the very names of man and woman, woman has man in that name. Ish is contained in Isha, do you understand? The name of man is contained in the name woman. When a man marries a woman, she usually takes his name, right? Now, I'm not going to get dogmatic because there's enough of you in here. Well, I didn't. So I'm just saying usually. Because by design, woman has already taken man's name in hers, Ish and Isha. Now, in the Hebrew word man, ish, there is a letter that they pronounce yud. And in woman, isha, there's a letter they pronounce hey. Yud hey. When man and woman are put together, ish and isha, they contain this word yud hey. Which in the, are the first two letters of the personal name of God, Yahweh. 
And so literally, what God did when He chose the name Ish for man and Ishah for woman is put in those two names when you join those man and woman together, He gave us His abbreviated name. The first two letters of His personal name, Yahweh, Jehovah. And this is actually recorded for us in Psalm 68.4. Sing to God, sing in praise of His name, Extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, and it's only the abbreviated name of the Lord, what we know as YH. The two letters that are in man and in woman. It's his abbreviated name. God has inserted his abbreviated name, his personal abbreviated name in man and in woman when those two come together, forever linking man and woman together to reveal the fullness of His image. Do you understand that? This is why we cannot talk about marriage, we cannot talk about family without beginning the discussion with a man and a woman joined together in marriage because He has so crafted it the uniqueness of a male, the uniqueness of a female to be together in the revelation of the fullness of His image. Also, God put His abbreviated name to be contained in that way. You have to understand that. Now, I started this by saying if you're single, you bear the image of God. Absolutely true. But we have to understand that there's a greater purpose behind marriage than self-fulfillment making ourselves happy. There's a greater purpose to it. And we have to understand that if we got married in order to make ourselves happy, what happens on day two? You understand what I'm saying? Like that's not a big enough purpose for marriage. The greater purpose behind marriage is to be the fuller image and reflection of God Himself. The interesting thing is that if you take this man and this woman, the Hebrew names, and you take the two letters of God out of that and you put man and woman together, you have the very Hebrew name of fire and danger. So to take God out of the marriage relationship is a very dangerous, fiery proposition. Do you understand? See, God had all this in mind when he made male and female, man and woman, and marriage. And because God had that in mind, the devil then also understands the power and the purpose of a husband and wife who are in full agreement with each other in a loving new relationship with each other and with God. The devil understands. The devil also understands how all of us people are made for a connection with other people. We're made for it. Now, some people have a, a much stronger desire to be relationally connected to a lot of people. Some of us have a desire to be connected to one or two and not very many of you. But we all have a connection, an, an innate created desire for connection with people, with humans. And the devil understands that too. And so the devil works very hard to break apart not just marriages, but human connection with each other. And to get us working and living in isolation. That's why relationships get so hard most of the time. Because there's an active work against them. Because we were made for that connection with the other people. 
And the devil understands the power and the purpose of a family unit that's in unison with each other and with God. And that's why, that's why family gets so difficult so often. Even if a husband and wife stay together, oftentimes the family dynamics that happen, even in a, a home where mom and dad, where husband and wife are still together, is less than ideal, right? Right? See, the devil's first goal when he showed up, the devil's first goal was to destroy the relationship between God and man. And produced questions, people questioning God's word. Did God really say? Did God really mean? Did God really intend? That was his job one, to destroy the relationship between God and man. His second goal was to destroy the relationship of marriage between husband and wife, Adam and Eve. It's interesting and significant that the devil showed up in the garden only after Eve showed up. Because the devil knew. Now that the two are one, i got to break that apart. He didn't bother with Adam before that. And so, from the beginning, the devil has made man choose God or woman. That was Adam's greatest choice right there. I know what God has said, but this is what she's asking. And she's hot and naked, so... I mean, that's, that's, that was the context. And, and it's been man's difficulty ever since. Choosing between God and oftentimes a woman. It just And the devil's third goal was to destroy the family relationship. And he went after the two brothers, Cain and Abel. First homicide was in the family. And so his, strat, his goal is to the destruction of our relationship with God, of our relationship with each other and in the family. That's his, that's his whole purpose. And he uses these tactics of division and dissension. And in all three of those relationships, us and God, husband and wife, and in the family, the larger context of the family, in all three of those relationships, the temptation is to get so frustrated and so fed up that you end up saying, you know what, I don't even care. I don't care. I'm done. And the danger is that you can, we can get to the point saying, I don't even care anymore. I don't even care. And not walk away from the relationship, but stay. And then what's created in this relationship that looks good from the outside is this internal deficit. I don't even care. I'm not going to fight with you about it anymore. Whatever. Do your thing. I'll do my thing. And if we become so hurt and so disappointed and so frustrated that we, in our hearts and our minds, think, I don't even care anymore. Just whatever. I don't, but I don't care. You should care. We should care. We were made to care. And that is one of the death tolls to a relationship. When you get to the point, I, whatever, I don't care. Especially in marriage. See, early on, the destruction of a marriage begins by resentment and anger. When those things are present early in the relationship, you got to be very clear, like, okay, we're, this isn't headed in a good direction. That's a warning sign. And unaddressed, at least to apathy. And later on, here's what happens. Laughter stops. 
And marriage and relationship experts will say this. When a couple stops laughing with each, not at each other, with each other, the relationship is going to die unless they get help. More than any, uh, hear me, more than any other issue, the lack of laughter is the primary indicator of future failure of the relationship. More than any other issue. We stop laughing with each other. And I would say that's not just true in the marriage context. It's true just amongst friends. Amongst friends. you got to laugh with each other. Part of that, and I don't want to get into too much like marriage therapy stuff, but part of that is playful teasing with each other. Not making fun of someone that shames and degrades, but just poking fun at goofy stuff. Because the fact is, we married goobers, right? I mean, there's, you're just, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Sometimes you are just a bag of chips. It's just like... You are a strange person that I've committed myself to. And you deserve to be made fun of every once in a while. Just in a nice way. But laughing and teasing each other is hard to do when you just don't care anymore. Right? So look at this. Here's the Bible verse. This is going to center down, and this is, where it get, this is where it's going to get hard now. Okay? I just want to set the stage of relationships. But this is where it's going to get difficult. And here's your danger. Don't read the Bible yet. Just look, listen for a minute. This is, where, this is why it's going to get hard. Because so many of us can go through life and relationships feeling as though, no, no, I'm doing fine. I'm okay. Just the way... I, I don't need to go back and rehash anything. I don't need to talk. I don't need, I'm fine. And you might feel that way, but you're not that way. At least according to Scripture. And so don't blow this off. Don't jump to next week or the next couple weeks and think, well, I hope we get to something significant soon. This is significant. Now look what the Bible says. For Christ's love compels us. It means that His love is so profound and so great, and He's done something so profound and so great with His love that we're now compelled. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. In other words, what we're saying is, His love compelled Him to die for us, and we're convinced that the one man, Jesus, died for all of us, and so therefore, we all died. In other words, we have to die. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live. What happens if you no longer live? You die. He said, so we have to then also die to ourselves. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him should live for him who died for them and was raised again. So he's saying, here's the thing. God, Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, and because of his love that we're compelled now to die to ourselves and live now for him. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do so anymore. So that means what that says is that we no longer look at each other just from a worldly point of view. 
You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. We don't look at each other like that anymore. There's something more significant that's going on in relationships of people and our responsibility to each other. Do you understand? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, is a new creation. Uh, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The old way of having relationships with people is gone. There's a new way now. I have to die to myself and live for him in my relationship with you. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? The ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to talk about that. That's where we're going to land. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, you realize that reconciliation only happens in the context of relationships that are out of joint, right? If there's never a relationship out of joint, there's no need for reconciliation. You understand that? So he's talking about the context of our relationships, not just with us and God, but us and each other. That when those relationships get out of joint and, out of, and, and been out of shape, our job is reconciliation. Not, I don't even want to deal with it, whatever. You love it, I'll love mine, we're fine. Do you understand? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love the fact that when Allie was up here talking about, about uh, her friends, did you use the word ambassador? That's too big a word for you. What did you say? <laughs> advocate. That's perfect. I'm, I'm God's advocate before my friends. That's perfect. That's what he said. We're, God, we're Christ's advocates. As though God were making his appeal through us. And so Paul says, I implore you. On behalf of Jesus, be reconciled with God because there's something at stake. He says, one died for all, therefore all died, and we who are live, we no longer live for ourselves. In other words, Jesus did something uncomfortable for him, for you. You understand? He died. And now he asks us to do something uncomfortable for us, for him. It's to be reconciled to each other. He did something that didn't seem in his best interest for our best interest. Why would he leave heaven and die for sins he never committed? That didn't seem like that was in his best interest. Guess whose best interest it was in? And so now he asked me to do something that doesn't seem like my best interest for him. In his best interest. What's, sometimes it doesn't seem my best interest to be reconciled and make amends with an idiot. Right? Right? But because he did something that didn't seem in his best interest for my best interest, now he's asked me to do something that doesn't seem like my best interest for his best interest. Because I'm his ambassador now. I'm his advocate. See, while I was guilty, he pursued reconciliation. That's a big word. Here's what it means. Reconciliation means that the outstanding bill has been cleared. It's an accounting term. It means to adjust the difference. That's what it means. So if I owe John $100, he has the authority to be reconciled to me by adjusting the difference to declaring now I don't owe him $100. Do you understand? Like we're, we're good. He has the ability for reconciliation. I don't because I owe him. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is what Jesus has done for me when I was guilty. 
I had a bill due to sin that I couldn't pay. God demands payment. And Jesus paid my sin bill with his life. And offered me the opportunity to be reconciled to him. To adjust the difference. Do you understand? And then he says, because I've done that for you, I've given you that responsibility with each other. See, through Jesus, God removed every obstacle for me to be reconciled to Him except for me. Do you understand what I just said? God, through Jesus, removed every obstacle for me to be reconciled with Him except for me. I'm the only obstacle that stands between me and God being reconciled. And the interesting thing to me is God didn't meet any of us halfway. God didn't mean, God didn't say, I'll go halfway if you go halfway. He didn't do that. He said, I'll go all the way because you're incapable of even moving towards me. And he moved towards me with no guarantee that I would move towards him. And he moved towards you all the way with no guarantee you would move towards him. He took the initiative and responsibility. Because of that, he is now once we've been reconciled to Him, given us the ministry of reconciliation to each other. And now we must move towards each other without the guarantee of them moving towards us. And this is where it's so difficult. Because oftentimes when we're in disagreements and difficulty and relationships are fracturing, we say, you know what, here's my part. I'll accept that. But you got a part in this too. Right? Right? Like, I'll go, you meet me halfway. You, that's all I'm asking. You don't got to go, but just halfway. Like, you name your stuff, I'll name my stuff, and we'll just figure it out. And, but you got some. That's not what Jesus did. And that's not the ministry of reconciliation. Our entire life, understand this, our entire life is to be the visible flesh and blood message that says to everybody, did you know that you can be right with God? Did you know that you can be right with each other? Did you know that we can be right? That's our entire message. should be the flesh and blood. Realization of that. And we preach that message by how we're reconciled to each other. Now, the reason that we can be, here's the thing, the reason that we can be reconciled to God if we have a relationship with Jesus is because God doesn't count our past, our present, or our future sins against us. That's the only way we can be reconciled because he doesn't count those against us if we have a relationship with him. See, reconciliation is in spite of, not because of. That's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is in spite of, not because of. See, we're reconciled to God, not because of the fact we haven't sinned. We're reconciled with God, not because of the fact that we're good. We're reconciled with God in spite of the fact of our sin. We're reconciled with God in spite of the fact that we are not good. See, it's not because of, I'm never going to do it again. It's in spite of, I will definitely do it again. Do you understand? That's reconciliation. And see, on a human level, we don't mind being reconciled with, uh, with them as long as they promise not to. 
because they are different, right? That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation says in spite of the fact that you're still an idiot and you'll probably still... I'm going to change the transaction. So how does this play out in just regular family relations? Not just marriage, but just family relationships. Have you, ever, have you ever been, and maybe you don't want to say this out loud, but have you ever been to that point where with a relationship with someone, you're just done with them? You're just done. Like, I don't, I don't even care anymore. I, we fought too much. It just nothing changes. Whatever. I'll take the silence as consent because we don't want to verbalize it. And if someone were to ask you, why are you done with them? You would say, well, because of, because of, because of. And the Heavenly Father says, no, 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 no. You don't have the right to be done with them because of. You have to offer reconciliation in spite of. Because I reconciled with you in spite of. Do you understand? Isn't it so much easier just to have those people in our life like, whatever, I'm just done with you. And isn't that easier? Profoundly easier. Now, when I say be reconciled, it doesn't mean be best friends. It, it, it doesn't mean even have an ongoing friendship or relationship with them. The Bible says as much as it is up to you, live at peace with everybody. It doesn't mean be best friends with them and have coffee. But it does mean you don't hold their defense against them anymore. It means letting that part go. It means getting to the point where you don't have that, where you don't have that sick feeling in your stomach anymore. Where you don't have that feeling of disgust anymore. Where there's no more disappointment over who they are. Do you understand? Well, there's no more, you know, I don't even care. See, there are two reasons why you stop fighting with each other. One of those reasons you, do, you stop fighting is because you realize that they are more important than the issue. And you're willing to let go of your rights and let go of your, you know, desire, whatever. And you just submit and say, you know, out of loving submission, I'm just, I'm choosing not to, you're more important to me than the issue. That's one reason you stop fighting, and that's okay. But the other reason that you just stop fighting with each other is that I'm just tired of you. I'm tired of the bother. It's not worth it anymore because you're not worth the fight. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Especially in the context of marriage, especially in the context of intimacy. I'm just done. So let me talk to those of us who claim to be Christians. So if you're saying, well, I haven't decided yet. I'm still making up my mind. I'm, I'm, I haven't signed on the dotted line with Jesus. Then this isn't for you, and you're not expected to live this way. And at this point, if this is you, you're probably thinking, good, because i got people in my life who are absolutely yet it's, and there's no way I'm going to be reconciled to them, and I'll see you in hell, and I'll see them there too. You know what I'm saying? So I understand how people are across this spectrum. 
But for those of us who claim to be Christian, here's the thing. Maybe nobody told us when we signed on to this deal, but we carry the message of reconciliation with us. Our life is to be a living example of flesh and blood of reconciliation. That we are Christ's ambassadors and advocates as if Jesus is making his appeal to the world through us. If that is the case, if the only way Jesus, if the only way the world will know that Jesus offers the world reconciliation to them is how you have represented that, how is that message going? I don't want to, I don't guilt you or shame you, but I'm just putting it in context of understand what he's saying. This is pretty big stuff. Now, thankfully, God can work outside of my failure. And he's not reliant upon me for his entire message to the world because it would go to hell fast. But he's given us the message of reconciliation, not just to those who are far from God, but he's, get this, he's given us the message of reconciliation to those who used to be close to us. Do you understand? Now we've got to be careful that we don't confuse this message. Because the gospel message of God says that we can be, we can, you can be reconciled to God in spite of your sin. But what we often communicate to people is that while you may be able to be reconciled to God in spite of your sin, you can't be reconciled to me because of your past. Do you understand? Very confusing messages. And one cancels out the other oftentimes. And when we make that statement... You might be able to be reconciled with God in spite of your past, but you can't be reconciled to me because of it. What we're doing is saying that our standard for ourselves is higher than God's standard for him. Be very careful. Understand? Be very careful. And so when talking about this idea of reconciliation, I get it. And some of you have very valid objections to this. Because in your mind, you're going back to that person and that event and what happened. And you're thinking, if you only knew, you wouldn't be laying this on me right now. There's no way on God's green earth that I'm ever going to be friends with them, that I can even put myself in a position to talk to them. Like, it's just not a good... I understand the objections. You have to understand what we're talking about with reconciliation. We're not talking about sending them... Christmas cards and inviting over for Thanksgiving dinner. All we're talking about is opening up the door, setting the table for you to agree to release the debt of. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you will say, you know what, this whole idea of reconciliation, what has happened in the past is just too big. The issue is just too big. Like, there's just not the elephant in the room. There's a herd of elephants in the room. It's just too much. I get it. But please understand, when we talk about reconciliation, we're not talking about working through all the issues. And we're not talking about, I just want to make sure you understand where I'm coming from. That's not what we're talking about. 
I'm not talking about saying, let's, let's sit down, let's hash it out, let's get it all worked out. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is reconciliation offers an open door, a set table to say, I am changing the transaction and I'm canceling the debt that you legitimately owe me. That's reconciliation. And so the natural question is, it's so big. What I do, just ignore all that stuff in the past? And the answer would be, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Because there's no other way to get past it. See, the Bible, we have to keep coming back to this. Because we can come up with all the excuses and reasons in our own mind and our own lives based on our experience we want to. But this is unchanging. And the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He moved all the way. He opened the door and set the table. He gave the possibility to offer to cancel the debt to make the exchange a transaction that no longer will I hold your legitimate offense against me. Do you understand? And so we can't live in the world of, well, it's just too big. You don't understand. Because apparently there was something pretty big. And yet Jesus opened the door and set the table. But I, and I understand how this goes, too, because some of us have people in our lives that were just, were just so disappointed in who they've become. And to seek reconciliation with them, we feel like, you know what, if I open the door to them, it feels like I'm condoning them and what they've done and what they're doing, and I just don't want to give the appearance that I'm condoning their lifestyle or their choices or where they are right now. I, I, I understand that. But, but let's all be honest with each other and, and realize that that's not our real issue. That's not our real issue. It plays well and sounds pious, but that's not our real issue. See, our real issue is that you're uncomfortable around them and you don't want to be that uncomfortable. And you don't know how to love them. And you don't want to learn to love them. Because it's easier just to say, you know what, I'm just, you do your thing, I'll do mine. It's just... And you'd rather they live their life and you live yours and not have to worry about it. That's not reconciliation. And that's not what Jesus has called us to. Do you understand? Let's not hide behind our piety and live in the sin of our unforgiveness and unreconciliation while holding their sin against them. Again, I'm not talking about being best friends. I'm just saying opening the door and setting the table and saying no longer will our relationship be defined by your offense. Do you understand? You'll know when you've gotten to that point when the sick feeling in your stomach goes away, when you're no longer living with the disappointment in who they are, This is so vitally important, especially in the world of family, especially for fathers towards their children. This is huge. There are so many issues that adults have because of an issue that started in their childhood with their daddy. 
And I'm not getting all like counselor stuff. I'm just talking in the real world. Fathers cannot afford to ever say, I'll live my life, you live yours. And we'll be good enough. If you're a father, hear me on that. I've seen that destroy my father's life with his dad. And as of late, I've seen it destructive in my mother's life too with her parents. We cannot ever with our children say to seek reconciliation would be condoning what you're doing on an adjustment. If you're a father, hear me on that. You have not just the ministry of reconciliation, but responsibility to it, especially with your children. But I understand some of the ejections. You know what? It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. I mean, I've been down this road. I've tried this. I've done everything. You know, I just, I even bought him a puppy and a pony and a unicorn. It's just not going to, there's nothing going to happen. So what? So what? You might be right. Nothing will happen to them. But here's what happens. It will work in you. And that's the point. You open up the door, you set the table, you give the information. Whether they respond or not makes no difference whatsoever, honestly. Because in the future, down the road, not right now, but down the road, years from now, you'll realize that the moment you set the table, and the moment you open the door, and the moment you agree to level the playing field and let go of their debt that they owed you, that was the moment that God started doing something in you. And that could be the precipice of the greatest work that God will ever do in your life. And the relationship still might be bad, and it still might be ugly, and it still might be difficult, but that decision, God often uses that decision to do things in your life He's never been able to do because unwittingly you've not allowed Him access to you. You understand? This could be it. See, attempts at reconciliation always work in some way. And most of the time they work by what is done in you. Always. But I get it. You've gotten along just fine this far. Right? I mean, we haven't talked to each other for each other in decades. And I'm doing fine. They're living their life. They seem to be happy. I'm living mine, whatever. Got along just fine. Well, maybe God desires more for you than getting along just fine. No mind has conceived what God has in store for those who have opened the door in spite of. Not because of. You understand? So the first step in all of this, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He has cleared your bill of sin. He's cleared it. And He took the initiative before you could do anything 
before you even have the opportunity, the ability to take a step towards him. In spite of your inability to clear your own debt, he took the initiative in spite of. So the first step is to be reconciled to God. Then to understand he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the charge to now be reconciled to each other. And so as we come up here, as we walk out of here, let it ring in your ears. Don't let your house be fragmented anymore. Don't let your family be fractured anymore. Do the hard work of clearing their debt from your record and start the process of reconciliation. You don't have to be best friends. You never have to see them again, but you at least have to offer the open door and the set table to say, I'm no longer holding your debt against you. You are cleared of it. You are freed of it. I am releasing you from the not in my stomach. It's not good enough for us to go along. We have to now be reconciled. For one reason, because that is exactly what Jesus has offered you. We don't have the option to do other. Do you understand? So now, think back. Who is it in your family, in your life, that you have chosen to believe the lie? You know what? You do your thing, I'll do my thing. No big deal. Who is it in your life that you still get that knot in your stomach? If you were to think about having to see them again. Do you understand? And then you do the hard work with Jesus. Say, God, they have a bill that they cannot pay. I'm going to clear it. Because you cleared mine.